Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So Money Episode 1634, How to Be a Practical Optimist in Your Financial Life with Dr. Sue Varma, author of the new book, Practical Optimism. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Don't stop. Hit pause. You know, when you're feeling really, really down in those moments, it's very hard to be optimistic. And the goal there is not to be optimistic. The goal is, okay, how do I just get through this rough patch right now? So I would say like the processing of the emotions is to say to yourself, all right, well, okay, this is how I feel right now. The loop that we get into, because our thoughts affect our emotions and our thoughts and our emotions together affect our behavior. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Did you know that sometimes you're born one or the other, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn to be optimistic. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. And our conversation today turns to practicing optimism and healthy pessimism in your financial life. I know we have a lot of goals we want to achieve this year, and sometimes it feels like we're never going to get there. It's easy to get down on ourselves. It's easy to not see the light at the end of the tunnel. What is the healthier way to examine obstacles in our lives to keep going? Dr. Suvarma is our guest today. She's a distinguished psychiatrist and cognitive behavioral therapist based in New York City. Her new book is out this week. It's called Practical Optimism, the Art, Science, and Practice of Exceptional Well-Being. The book is a powerful program with eight pillars to help us all experience a sense of meaning, mastery, and self-acceptance and create lives filled with joy and purpose. This isn't toxic positivity. This is practical optimism. Here's Dr. Sue Varma. 
Dr. Sue Varma, welcome to So Money. Finally, all these years we have been friends and thank you so much for supporting me in my own book launch. I'm so excited for your book. It's coming out very soon. It's called Practical Optimism. But first, oh, just welcome. And thank you. how's the new year treating you? It's good. It's good. We've got time, you know, we've got a, the, the, the new, we've got the whole year to think about, you know, anything from new habits to mindset change or really just appreciating what we already have. And I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for like amazing people in my life for this opportunity to talk about this work that I've been so passionate about and so excited that finally I can put it out there in the world. So thank you for this opportunity and this conversation. Absolutely. We'll get to your book so soon. But I want everyone to know just the um, incredible work that you have been doing for so many years in the medical field, in the psychiatry field. Um, you uh, are pioneering medical director, attending psychiatrist at the World Trade Center Mental Health Program. Is that still? Yeah. Well, I'm, the program is still there. I'm not there anymore. Okay. I'm, I'm in private practice now. But you were played at one point a very critical role in directly supporting civilian and first responder survivors in the aftermath of 9-11. What was, what has that been like for you or what was that like for you? Yeah. You know, I mean, it was um, in a very interesting experience because, you know, I, I, as a New Yorker, like you're in the midst of all of it. And I was first a trainee when 9-11 happened and then later on got trained myself and then became a medical director of this program. So you're like living, there are very few instances in your life where you're living what your pair, patients are going through. And I feel like, you know, fast forward 20 years, like COVID was the next time where, mm -hmm. you know, anything that your patients would say to you, you know, uh, grief, loss, trauma, and, and, and lack of trust, you know, and not feeling safe, you know, you, you're kind of going through it with them. Um, at the same time, the lessons that I took away from working with 9-11 folks and really what was kind of behind what I wanted the next phase of my career to be was not only resilience, um, which is bouncing back in the face of adversity, but then it became flourishing, which is thriving in the face of it. And to me, that's what I, I, I didn't want to just take my patients from a state of dysfunction to function. So I, I, somebody comes in and they're like, I'm depressed. I, my goal isn't, okay, let's make you undepressed. <laughs> I want them to be going from a state of functional to optimal. And not a lot of people go into a doctor and sort of Western medicine is about you know, fixing something that's broken, but I'm interested in not just fixing it, but let's make you, you know, fabulous in any other aspect of your life that you're interested in, even in the aspects that you didn't come in. And I think like a lot of times doctors, and, and, and these are my colleagues and I love them and I have the utmost respect for them, but what we're trained to do is take a person back to their baseline but what if their baseline wasn't working to begin with, right? Like what if their habits, what if their lifestyle, what if their thought process, what if their social support, what if all of those things might have been, had, you know, uh, breaks or cracks in the foundation and that is what got them to here. So really what I took away from that is how resilient and strong people are. I learned about the role of optimism and then I learned how to help people, whether it's big T trauma, life-threatening or little t, everyday hassles and disappointments, and help them thrive in the face of all of it. And not just optimism, but as your book is entitled, Practical yes. Optimism. That was yes. an important differentiator, and I think really more realistic, because what I'm sensing from the title, and I'll, I'll let you get more into it, is that um, maybe you're hinting at that we've had this culture that just aims for optimism without real practical tools and a way to approach it in a way that 
can endure because yeah, there's the quick fix. There's like going from depressed to not depressed. Maybe there's a pill for that. Um, but to really sustain that and yeah. not just again, going, going to baseline, but to thrive and maybe get to a, another level of, of happiness of that you didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. That's, that, um, I think that's where your book's headed, but you tell yeah. me, you tell yeah. me. No, no, I love that. And I love that you said that because, you know, what's interesting is that optimism by itself can be potentially dangerous because people who are overly optimistic tend to kind of have this ostrich effect where they're like burying their heads in the sand and they're not like, they're like, you know, the problems will just go away. And we all have family members who are like, nah, I haven't gotten a colonoscopy ever. And they're like 85 or like, nah, I'll be fine. You know, and they don't do their annual screenings because they just figure out everything will be fine or there's a problem and they just keep avoiding or ignoring it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about that. And I'm also not talking about toxic positivity, which is like rah, rah, like just, you know, everything will be okay without understanding the depths of what someone has gone through. And I also don't necessarily believe in when people say like, just put it out into the universe. I am a believer when people ask me this all the time, do you believe in manifesting? You know, and I say, okay, we'll qualify that. Like, what do you mean? You know, if you mean that something is going to drop from the ceiling into your lap, no, but putting it out there and then working behind it and doing the steps, the work, to sustain and follow through, absolutely. So it's optimism, but it's a practice. It's a daily practice the way you would have a yoga practice. I practice optimism because the reality is we don't, you don't have to be born this way. And we know that science shows that only 25% of optimism is genetic and there are genes and oh, wow. it's, it's the oxytocin receptor gene. And we know oxytocin is like the cuddle hormone, bonding hormone, but this gene actually um, promotes uh, social support, somebody seeking friendships in time of need, somebody being able to regulate their emotions and certain coping skills, which all of us can learn. So even if you're not the glass half full type to begin with, I'm not always that person. And that's why for me, this is something that I practice. This is like the healthy panic. (laughs) You know, like the practical optimism, because I consider myself optimistic, but also realistic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that realistic perspective is rooted in, and I love what you said about your past and like there's real, maybe there's trauma there. Maybe there's like evidence that that you have to be cautious. You have to be a little bit more pragmatic because you just have lived life and you know how how things can turn. Yes. Um, And so I really appreciate this. And so for somebody who doesn't have the gene, Yes. How do you begin to exercise practical optimism? Yes. And, you know, to your point earlier, Finish, what's so interesting is that pessimists are actually more accurate in their reading and their assessment, and they're actually more thorough when they do the research because they're trying to solve for everything that can possibly go wrong, right? And so they really do the homework. And I talk about this, um, the difference between what we call satisficers or people who do just enough research, like for good enough, right? So when I would go car shopping with my parents when I was a kid, my dad would be like, all right, this, you know, has enough like, you know, mileage and the gas and, you know, wheel like horsepower. Meanwhile, my mom was like what we call a maximizer, someone who's like, I want to know everything. And until I haven't turned over every stone, we're not buying a car. She's like, is there a moonroof? Is there this? Is there that? Is it six cylinder? And I'm like, mom, do you even need a moonroof? She's like, no, but I just want to make sure it's included in the package. And so while she was more thorough, she would never be able to get to making a decision. And that can lend itself to pessimism. So even though pessimists and realists have their benefits in that they do their homework and they're thorough, they do their research, they're not necessarily happier 
So if you aren't born this way, you're going to have a tendency, just know that, you know, if you haven't gotten depressed, great. I'm not saying that you are going to get depressed, but the likelihood of having what we call like two hits, you've got this natural predisposition towards pessimism and then something else, the other shoe drops. So that's when I would see people, you know, the 9-11 program, not everyone who experiences a life-threatening event is going to experience PTSD. It's because if you've had trauma in your early life or then some other hit, a job loss, a loss of a loved one, something else bad happens. And then the, the other shoe drops and you fall into a depression. So just know if you're the glass half empty type that you're going to be at risk and there's nothing to be afraid of. Just know that I'm someone who has to work a little bit harder on my coping skills. And then I talk about these eight science backed things that keep in mind that there are eight pillars and every single one of them is evidence based starting from having a purpose, then being able to process your emotions, then being able to problem solve very actively, um, being able to be present in the, in the moment, um, being able to develop a, a people practice. So in each of these eight principles, I give the science, I have anecdotes, and then I tell people how to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, So like having an intention, whether it's your purpose in life or having a, a purpose in a specific task or in a relationship or even in a conversation, being able to break it down. So the the hope the idea is that like there's so much more that we have control over we have so much more agency and that's what i want people to walk away with and when i when i work with patients it's all about um helping them recognize that they really are the agents of change and therapy is so beneficial if you can afford it if you have the time for it i know for some people it's a luxury but i think it's that idea of that somebody really cares for you and they've got your back yeah. and that you have options in life Well, let's, if we may, I don't know how often this shows up in your practice, but I want to see if there's a way to show the applications of practical optimism in our financial lives, where I would venture to guess that many people, including some listening to this episode, may feel stuck, may not feel very optimistic about their financial future. And it's no fault of their own, right? The outside is expensive. If your vision for 2024 or maybe for the last five years was to buy a home and you haven't yet, well, you know, that's hard to, it's hard to sort of feel optimistic after so many sort of no's and getting the door closed on you and not winning the bid and and beyond housing. I mean, there's even a lot of uncertainty in the job market and not feeling as though you have found your dream job and will that ever happen for you that will pay well and you'll be happy at work. Would love to get your take on navigating your financial life if you are feeling practical pessimism. (laughs) Yes, yes. How to flip that to feeling more hopeful and then what are the action steps? Yeah. So I love all of it, you know, and, you know, Furnish, your work really, really speaks to me because I, uh, you know, I love your posts and they're so thoughtful and so deep and meaningful. And, and, you know, you really bring in the psychology behind all of this and, you know, just a post that you had shared about like speaking gigs and, you know, paid versus unpaid. And I'm just thinking because in the book I talk about, you know, wanting to ask for a raise and it's not the exact same thing, but just the idea of like knowing what your worth is. And, you know, there are two things I want to say about this. And, you know, we could really take any situation and, you know, I, 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 I don't like to advise people without knowing exactly like the nuances of what they're going through. But what I can say is, you know, I've been in many of those situations, you know, like starting out, I think I had my first job when I was 11 years old, I was teaching Hindi um, wow. and then distributing newspapers and I paid for college myself. I paid for med school. I supported myself through residency. And, you know, it was really, really hard. Um, hard because I needed to be working a hundred hours a week. And then I also needed to come up with money. And um, those two things don't always, you know, they don't coincide. So one thing I would say is don't stop 
hit pause. You know, when you're feeling really, really down in those moments, it's very hard to be optimistic. And the goal there is not to be optimistic. The goal is, okay, how do I just get through this rough patch right now? So I would say like the processing of the emotions is to say to yourself, all right, well, okay, this is how I feel right now. The loop that we get into, because our thoughts affect our emotions and our thoughts and our emotions together affect our behavior. If you give up, you're going to say to yourself, I'm not worthy. I keep getting rejected. Nobody wants to pay me for these talks that I want to do. They don't value me. Mm -hmm. And then you end up taking it personally. So the, the three P's of pessimism, um, Martin Seligman, who talks about, you know, he's sort of the father of positive psychology. He talks about the three P's and I add a fourth one. So the three P's of pessimism are taking it personally, thinking that this negative thing, rejection is um, pervasive in all aspects of your life. Um, and then thinking that it's permanent, that it's never going to work out, you know? So I've had so many rejections. I've heard so many no's over my life. And I think the difference is, is in the coming back and regrouping, re-strategizing, getting mentorship, asking for help, asking for feedback, asking for support, which doesn't always come. All the things I'm telling you about, they're after like being a 40 plus year old woman, you know, in hindsight saying, don't make the same mistakes that I did, right? Don't beat yourself up because I did. So the fourth P then is paralysis. When you take something as personal, permanent and pervasive that this rejection, this hit, you haven't found a house yet, you haven't found a partner yet, you haven't found a job yet, you're going to dwell in pessimism. And I want you to dwell in possibility instead. Mm -hmm. And so if you can do a five minute exercise person, I would say anyone listening who's feeling as if they're dwelling in pessimism, I would say, you know, close your eyes, relax your shoulders and think of a problem. And I want them to think of the problem. I want you to think of the problem and I want you to envision how you're feeling. So accepting the emotions around them accepting the thoughts that come around it. I feel like a loser. I feel like the world is not working in my favor. I feel like I have bad luck. Allow those negative thoughts to come, but also allow them to leave. And just the way that you wouldn't get wrapped up into your negative thoughts, like at an airport baggage carousel, you see luggage going by and you're like, okay, it's not mine. It's ugly, but too bad that somebody else is. <laughs> Let it go. Let the luggage go. And then I want you to envision a path to the best possible outcome. I want you to envision that house. I want you to envision that house, that, that, that beautiful dream house in great detail. How many bedrooms does it have? Where is it located? What does your bedroom look like? What would it look like decorated? Mm -hmm. So envision in as much granular detail, the end possibility. And then I want you to feel the feelings, the positive feelings associated with all the best possible outcome, the relief, the release, the pleasure, the win, the excitement. And I want you to hold on to that feeling. And when you have that feeling of, I'm already a winner, then you're better equipped to detail action steps that it would take. And sometimes that means inviting expertise, like somebody like yours to say, like, I need your help getting your book and being like, help me deal with my fear and my anxiety, but also help me no longer be paralyzed and pessimistic. Give me an action plan so I can move forward. And then also map out the obstacles, right? So like I like to work forward, but also work backwards and to say like, if I needed a house by when, what's the steps that would have to take? What's the job? What's the money? What's the income? But yeah. here, not being the financial expert, but being sort of the mental health expert, I would say that optimists, this is well known, are healthier, are wealthier are more successful, have longer lasting relationships, more productive at work, and all because they do two things. They don't get mired by negativity and they're extremely proactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those, those are sort of the two key takeaways. 
In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio, to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution, more knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy? You want a bra that's comfortable? You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. The weather's getting warmer as I record. It's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast. So finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees. And I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul. And you know, I don't want to spend a fortune. So luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karakul jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince, my very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on Quince.com. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash so money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. I 
Love that. My God, we could end the show right there, but I got to <laughs> keep asking you more questions because this is really sparking my curiosity. And so I wonder how much of what you see evidenced in your field with your clients um, is this, where part of being practical with your optimism is not being so stuck on a vision of what success would mean for you. Like I have always talked about the importance of having at least a plan B and a plan A and a plan B and a plan C that you feel really good about a lot of these other options that if like your plan A doesn't work out, you can go to a plan B and that would still satisfy you. Mm -hmm. So, so does so much of what fuels our, our inflexibility and our pessimism stemming from this unwavering vision of what happiness and success needs to look like for us. Like you said, like envision this home, but maybe it's a rental for a little bit and then you own it, you know, maybe it's, it's a starter home and then you get, you know, so talk a little bit about that and how the importance of flexibility, I guess, yes. in the pursuit of opt of being this optimistic person. Oh, hundred percent. Like for like that is one of the key secrets and ingredients in happiness is flexibility and understanding that the things won't always necessarily work out f- according to your timeline. And that's okay. You know, I probably wanted to write a book like my entire life, like on some level, you know, like I was moved by self-help books when I was a kid. I was really shy. And I like picked up a book when I was in seventh grade and I was like, I don't want to be shy. Like I have ideas that I want to communicate with the world. Right. And lo and behold, this shy person is now like out there, like you are like on today's show every week. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And talking to like, you know, large audiences, thousands of people in person. And, And this was not who I was as a kid. Right. But I, said I made a decision and I said, I want to change things, right? So having that flexibility of like, okay, I want to write a book or I want to speak and wanting it so soon, but not being able to get it and not being able to achieve things until years down the road, you know? And so having that flexibility with timeline, having that flexibility with how things manifest um, in terms of job, like in the book I talk about, there's a, there's a woman who's like, I want to go to you know medical school, I want to be a doctor, and then it didn't work out. But I was like, okay, well, what's the underlying feeling? What do you, what is it that you want? She's like, I want to help people, I want to be in leadership, and I was like, all right, let's strategize. So that pivoting was so beneficial. And then this woman years later ends up becoming an executive at a big healthcare uh, company, and then ends up sending me a plaque, and it says you know, write your purpose in pen and your path in pencil. And this idea that be flexible, right? If the end goal is what, there's so many, if it's to help people, oh my God, there's a billion ways you can be useful in the world. And it's not only being, you know, X, Y, or Z. You're like, I know growing up a South Asian household, one must become doctor, lawyer, architect, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm imitating my parents' voice. I'm not making fun of me. I love it. They're, you know, so there were literally three... Pro- for professions. And what I'm, what I love is I'm meeting so many people in so many creative fields. And, you know, like they would always joke with me. I was like, but I want to do creative things. They're like, once you become doctor, you can become creative, you know, like, yeah. don't, like, don't think about being creative first. But like, I always wanted to pursue medicine. So it, it, it was not in any way a loss for me. But so coming back to your question, absolutely. And the other thing that really scares me and that I'm, I'm, I'm I feel sad for younger generations is just this idea of, you know, how more kids want to be YouTubers and influencers than they want to be astronauts. And this um, idea of quick and easy and fast and wealth and opulence and that your sense of self comes from hits and likes and how many people follow you and how much wealth that you can display. And the reality is that there's a lot of people living lives that are facades. You know, first of all, doing any of that work, you know, hats off. It's a full-time job, you know, if you're in that field. 
And second of all, a lot of times it's not what it appears. And then so younger people, or even adults wanting lives or wanting things and status and comparison and getting pleasure from feeling like I can, I need to be better than you and I need you to, to want what I have. Jealousy of want, you know, on both sides of it, inspiring jealousy in other people. And actually this was a study and they showed the problem with the whole social media of posting, let's say you post about a fabulous vacation, then your friend sitting at home or a follower doesn't get to go. They see it. There's a longing that gets desired in them of, I need that. And then they end up posting something about themselves. But then the trickle, it, it keeps going down. Then the next person who sees it feels something empty, FOMO, a lack of, mm. and feels the need to compensate by sharing something. And then so we're all perpetuating the cycle of comparison and FOMO and just not feeling happy and content in, in and of ourselves with what we already have. Yeah. Social media is obviously, oh gosh, it's it's so complicated. And you and I are both on it. And mm-hmm. I, you, you talk about time suck. I posted a very quick 40-second reel the other day, and it took me an hour. Yes. Fascinating. Totally. I can, I can totally just relate to that. Just to be yeah. totally real. Real talk. 40 yeah. seconds, one hour of work. Wow. What else is in the culture right now that uh, makes it so your book, Practical Optimism, is so needed. You know, you've talked about how we've exhausted this idea of positivity, that it's become now toxic positivity. We are clearly as a culture ready for, we want to be optimistic, but we also want to be realistic. And that's where the yeah. practical steps come in. But what else is happening? Like, is it a post-COVID thing? Like, what else are you seeing in your practice where you, you felt like, okay, this is the book and this yeah. is the time? Yes. You know, like a lot of people are feeling disillusioned, disenfranchised, um, and uh, disappointed. I mean, I can keep going on. Like this, this, this survey came out in 2022, and it was so fascinating. So the American Psychological Association puts out an annual survey, Stress in, in America survey. And every year, it's like, okay, 50% of the people, 30% of the people are feeling stressed out. And this time, it was like, number one, that was like 80% of the people are feeling very, very stressed out by, and then they had the laundry list, climate change, inflation, unemployment, racism, the list went on, um, at war. And, but the key for me was they're feeling overwhelmed by factors that are outside of their control. And that feeling of helplessness, and you talk about uncertainty, right? And so that's what this book is about is, okay, like reclaim agency, gain certainty and control over the things that you have actual control over and try to exert your sphere of influence a little bit larger and say like, what else in my life do I have control over? And I talk about this in practicing healthy habits. One of the pillars um, about how 80% of our health is determined by our habits, not our genetics. And so our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors all influence our habits and our habits determine our health. And so here we are thinking, oh my God, but like everyone, like I hear this a lot in the South Asian community. Oh my God, everyone's got diabetes. Everyone's got cholesterol. Everyone is skinny fat. Like we all have these like, you know, thin, but like high body percentage of fat. And so again, like the the deck is stacked against you in some ways, right? But your destiny doesn't determine, you know, like it's sort of like your genetics doesn't determine your your destiny. You do. And so with all that's happening in the world, yes, there's a lot of really crappy things happening, but what are, what are you willing to take agency and responsibility? And the thing that I, that I really, that rubs me the wrong way is when somebody says, 
you know, well, the world is a mess, messed up place. Nobody wants to give me a break. And like, I've been there, you know, where like every door that you're knocking, it's like, nope, I'm sorry. You're not good enough for this. You're not good enough for that. You're not cut out for this. You weren't meant for this. You don't have the ability for this. You don't look like there's a thousand things. And, um, there's a quote in there that I talk about. It says, even if the world was to fall to pieces, even if the world was to end tomorrow, I would still plant my apple tree. Mm -hmm. So even if all of these things are true, right? And they are true. And I often feel disappointed and I see the disappointment. Um, what, you know, what's our option? Like you can, like, you can, you can cry, right? But what's the utility? And a crying, by the way, is great and helpful. And yeah. releases the endorphin. So cry as much as you want. I'm not saying don't cry. I'm not saying bottle it up. I'm just saying that when you're done crying, be like, all right, take a pen and paper. What are three actionable items am I going to do? You know, and then what are the obstacles in the way of this? And who am I going to ask for help to help me get out of the situation? You're so right about how we often forget or underestimate or undercalculate all that we have at our at our fingertips, the resources that we have, the network. I mean, just living in America versus if I was still living in Iran as a, you know, a, a young woman, like forget it. Forget it. You know, like it's it would be a, just sad. Mm-hmm. And so there is a there there has to be whenever you're feeling hopeless and yes, so many things are out of your control, but what is in your control? And it's more than you think sometimes. And yes. sometimes it takes somebody else to tell you yes, yes. what you've got going on because yes. you lose perspective, which yes. is another pillar in your book, which is you know making sure that you're getting counsel and you are inviting in the right advice. Yes. And Farouk, that's so important, like get perspective, because I don't want to minimize or diminish anyone who might be experiencing like going through mental health challenges like depression, anxiety, or anything. And in that situation, maybe the only thing that's in your control is getting help, right? And that still is something within your control or getting better help. Right, right. Because yeah. the help doesn't just show up, no, unfortunately. No. And, 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 and what's so hard is when you're depressed or when you're down, like your frontal lobe is hijacked. Your executive functioning is at compromised, where it's really hard for someone to then make decisions to say, all right, like, like the worst time or the hardest time or the most challenging time to find a therapist is in the midst of a depression. And yet that is when you need the help the most, but you can't get yourself out of bed or you can't get yourself motivated or you're overwhelmed or inundated by so many options. If you're lucky enough, let's say to have health insurance. So the help that might you, you might need is to ask a friend, can you help me find a therapist? Like, you know, mm-hmm. friends of mine that, you know, I, I have helped them. I said, okay, come to my office. Let's sit down. Let me look at your insurance book. Let's look on psychologytoday.com, zoc.com. There's so many websites. You can plug in the information of the therapist, the insurance, and, and you know, it's hard because therapists are so booked up these days. Like they're waiting lists, you know, oh, it's yeah. really hard. So, but, but getting the help and not being afraid. I mean, there's so much, unfortunately, like stigma of like, oh my God, what does that mean? I mean, more people are seeking help. So I think that's awesome. But, um, and don't feel like you need to do everything. Like just because we're talking about practical optimism, like don't feel like, you're a failure if you can't get yourself rah-rah excited by the end of this conversation. It just means that, and I say that to people, this book isn't going to, it's not meant to replace therapy, right? Like if you're in therapy, stay in therapy, assuming it's helpful and you like your therapist. And if you don't break up, you know, it's not a marriage and feel free. And even if it is a marriage, like it's not working for you, like examine it. But it's an adjunct to what you're doing. And maybe if you're not in therapy, it's something, maybe this would get you curious about it or at least be willing to work on yourself. I mean, there's so many exercises in there that there are tons of people who are like, 
I'm fine. Maybe I'm languishing a little bit, which is like, I'm not thriving, but I'm not quite depressed. And I think a lot of us, like, I don't know about you, Farnoosh, but definitely like at a period of like, oh my God, is this it? Like in the, the midst of like the book, you know, the height of it, you know, locking yourself in and you're isolated and you're already so isolated, you know, oh, yeah. during COVID and then being isolated and you're like, is this it? So I can feel of like the things that brought me joy and meaning, they had to be pushed to the side to be able to get this done. So whatever you are, fill in your blank. This is just my story, but everybody's got a story of why they might be languishing right now, the weather, you know, getting less daylight hours. So simple habits of getting exposing yourself to daylight early in the morning, 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. What that does is it shuts down the melatonin in your brain and it says it's time to wake up and that allows the melatonin to shut off and then rise again, again at night, which is when you wanted to, to help you get sleepy. And something as simple as sleep hygiene can make a difference in terms of decreasing your risk for depression or treating it. Um, daylight hours um, and friendship, in-person friendship. Yeah. One, get out of the house. Yeah, get out of the house. I'm hearing. Totally. <laughs> Oh gosh, Dr. Sue Varma, thank you so much. I'm really excited for your book, Practical Optimism. Tell us where we can find it, where you prefer that we purchase it. Anywhere books are sold, um, Amazon, Penguin, Barnes and Nobles. Um, you know, my website is Dr. Sue Varma, the full word, D-O-C-T-O-R, suvarma.com slash book. You can see all the retailers, but really anywhere books are sold. I'll put those links in our show notes for sure. Thank you so much and Thank happy you. new year again and happy book. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so, so great talking to you. Thanks so much to Dr. Sue for joining us. Her book, I'll link it in our show notes, is called Practical Optimism and it just came out in hardcover and in audio. I'll see you back here on Friday for a fresh episode of Ask Farnoosh. I hope your day is so money. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.